This time of the church of Jesus between his first and second comings or advents, it has been called the time of the now and not yet. Every week we center ourselves on what Jesus accomplished in his first coming to earth. In his first advent, Jesus said he did not come into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Now, in his second advent, it will change. He will judge all who did not live by his faith on earth. Now, in his first advent, many people didn't get this. They were looking for the wicked to be judged and the Romans to be overthrown. So they did not receive Jesus because he didn't fit their expectations. He was not the kind of king they were looking for. So as we wait for his second advent, we will look back on his first advent to prepare ourselves so we'll be ready when he comes. We will be surprised, but we, as he said, always watch and be ready. Now, human nature is powerless to reform itself. It's been proven over and over again throughout history. So this means we are still facing the same problems and character issues that people faced 2,000 years ago. However, we are blessed to live after God came to earth as one of us to not only tell us about God's powerful love, but to show us God's powerful love. So today we heard highlights from Habakkuk's short prophecy which warns that disobedience of God's ways will lead to extreme punishment. But the one living by faith, for that one, it is possible not only to persevere in extreme famine, but to rejoice in it. And the gospel reading that we heard from Matthew, one of the 12, motivates us to take hope that even Jesus was deeply sorrowful before he went through the death that leads to life. So let's look more closely at all of this. First, with the prophet Habakkuk, and I have to confess he might be my favorite because it's such a short outline. You can at least memorize the orders and everything. So verse 1 is actually the title of the book, The Burden Which Habakkuk the Prophet Saw. And as I was meditating on this, I realized that Habakkuk is one of, but different from. Well, 
we need to understand this word burden. And I've never understood it. I've even heard it preached on and taught before until I really started digging in and looking at a theological word dictionary this week. A burden is a threatening warning word that God chooses a man to speak to people so that they will change. Change is necessary. Now, the prophet is both of the people. He's a peer, but he's for God. That's the important difference. He's chosen. He's different from the people, therefore, in this way. And his soul becomes burdened over the consequences of their disobedience. So it's a hard thing to be called by God to speak a prophetic word because we don't have the power to make people change. And and it's a burden on anyone who's given a prophetic word to have to pronounce these harsh words. So now we get into what Habakkuk says to God because of the circumstances. How long, Yahweh? Have I cried for help and you will not hear? And how long will I call to help concerning violence and you will not save? How long? I remember being in a Bible study in the 1990s when I was still working in the insurance business. And and our teaching pastor told us that how long? It's all throughout scripture. And I did a brief search on the Psalms. And looking at all the how longs, there's at least a dozen times directly to the prophet, uh, to God, the writer is saying, how long, oh God? Sometimes it will be just a general complaint, but God is specifically addressed at least a dozen times, three times in Psalm 13. Psalm 6 might be the best. So you see, Habakkuk is given, given this burden. And let me put you into the time frame. We went through Chronicles all the way up to the exile and then beyond to the returning community. It's about halfway through the 23 years after the last good king Josiah died and they actually went into exile. So the exile is imminent. The punishment is imminent. And what's happening is immorality and idolatry and violence are rampant. And the prophet is longing, longing for righteousness within Judah. He continues, why did you make me see iniquity and trouble and look at ruin and violence? There has been strife and contention will be rising up. Why iniquity? This is the age-old question, people. I, I have studied some history, and we always want to understand why is there evil in this world? And then he says, therefore, the Torah will be numb. And justice will never go out because the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice goes out perverted. 
No justice. What's happening? God's instruction or Torah has no effect on wicked people who are perverting justice and intimidating this small righteous remnant. So ends the prophet's plea to God. And now we get the response of Yahweh, the covenant God. See among the nations and look. Astonish yourselves and be astonished because a work is working in your days that you will not believe when it will be recounted. So basically he's saying, look and be astonished. And and this is convicting to me because I feel like lately I've been taking God too much for granted. Now, Yahweh is addressing all of his people, all of them, with these commands and with these predictions. He says, what they see will astonish them because it will be unbelievable. We are astonished now at God and all he has done in Jesus And as I write these words, I say to myself, at least we should be astonished. And then God continues, for behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and being hastened nation, going to the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. Raising up Babylon, I did a little searching and I found that Chaldea was part of the larger Babylonian empire, but it was significant. Many of the kings came from there, including Nebuchadnezzar. He was a Chaldean. He was the one that would sack Jerusalem. And then he concludes what we heard this morning. There's more in the chapter, but he says, they are terribly dreaded, and from them goes forth their own judgment and their own dignity. See, they're proud. These are self-made people. And in their pride, they will not acknowledge anyone to be above them. But they put dreadful fear into those they conquer. Now we'll skip ahead to chapter 2 and what we heard there. Habakkuk stands after his reproof of Yahweh and receives a guaranteed vision concerning the proud and the righteous. Now, I had to really look through this, and there's lots of ways to translate this. But basically, in verse 1, he's saying, I will stand on my watch post and station myself on the tower, and I will watch closely to see what he will say to me and what I will return in answer to him concerning my reproof. And I think what he's saying here is he knows he was laying a heavy accusation on God. We'll get to it in a minute. He had strongly protested, and if you read chapter 1, the final paragraph that Yahweh should not punish his people with an evil nation. What are you doing? You're too good to use evil to punish your people. 
And now after he has done this and he's wondering if he's overstepped his bonds, bounds, the prophet is now standing his ground for the covenant God's response to him. So he waits. We don't know how much time passed. Then Yahweh answered, write a vision. Make it plain on the tablets. So someone will be running, running everywhere and reading it. So the first thing he's commanded to do is write this vision he receives. And it will be carried. Someone will carry it and many will read it. We've gotten to read it. Continuing for still, the vision is for the appointed time and it shall hasten all the way to the end. And it will be breathed out to the end and it will not lie. And if it lingers, wait, wait for it, because it will surely come and then not delay. Appointed time. God has an appointed time for everything. Solomon said that in a song that, um, you know, the birds made a lot of money for singing it. Pete Seeger updated it. Also, I don't have it in your outline, but I realized um, this morning, Galatians chapter 4, God said, when the time had fully come, he sent forth his son to save us. So it will happen in its appointed time. But Habakkuk is commanded to wait in hopeful expectation. And people, this is the same word, the same way as Habakkuk was commanded that we must actively wait for the second coming of Jesus. That's what I love about the prophets. What they said so many years ago still applies to us today. And in his second advent, Jesus will make everything right. So again, for the first week of Advent, our hope is Jesus coming again to judge. And then God says, he assures his prophet, the vision is certain it will surely come, just as Jesus will surely come at the right time when he's ready. And then in a verse that is at least three times quoted in the New Testament, in the letters of the New Testament, behold, his soul, meaning Nebuchadnezzar, is swollen and it's not upright. So there's the answer. I'm going to use them even despite this. And also, a righteous man will live by his faith, by his faith. So Babylon and its king Nebuchadnezzar, they've been swelled up in their unrighteousness. But one who lives a righteous life in the midst of violence, which is what this letter's been about to this point, does it through faith. He does it through faith in the covenant God. We aren't righteous in our own selves. We can't reform ourselves. I already said that. But God can. And we need to believe it. And we need to live by it. In the midst of violence, people. And it's everywhere. It's always been everywhere. 
faithfulness gives life. And now we go to the third chapter, the conclusion of this book. Even in devastating famine, the prophet will rejoice in the God of his salvation. He says, and again, there's all these poetic phrases and half lines. Though a fig tree will not blossom, nor produce in the vines, the work of the olive has failed. The fields have not made food. The sheep have been cut off from the fold, and there is no herd in the stalls. As I really thought about it, people, this is a six-fold famine. Okay. There's widespread famine in the land because three fruit-bearing plants and trees, they failed. Grains do not grow from the earth. Sheep and cattle are gone. The six most common sources of food cannot be found anywhere. But the prophet continues, and I will rejoice in Yahweh and be glad in the God of my salvation. Now, Habakkuk's concluding prayer, and you can read the whole chapter, um, it covers ground like a meandering stream that winds its way through a flatland. He begins in one of my favorite pleas and prayers by requesting that in his wrath against his wicked people, Yahweh will remember compassion. We deserve judgment, but we need compassion. And that's what Jesus brought the first time. And now he concludes by saying that even in extreme famine, he will rejoice in God's person, who God is, and in his presence with him, the greatest promise God will always be with us, and he will rejoice in the salvation of Habakkuk. So God is doing a work in his prophet in spite of the burden. And then he concludes, Yahweh is the Lord of my strength, and he has made my feet as a deer's, and on high places he has made me go. I thought about this. Here is a triply blessed life, people. Because of the covenant God, who is Lord of all he has made, with violence rampant under a wicked king and with no food to be found, Habakkuk still has the faith in him to declare his life has been blessed with strength and swiftness, and he's been set on a path in the heights, nearer to God. People, may we rejoice, even in extreme famine and violence, to experience this triply blessed life in Christ, in the midst of violence, 
Faithfulness gives life. May we have faith to give us hope. And now, in the gospel passage, we heard Jesus experience sorrow as he prepares to pray before going to the cross. So we're told as Jesus comes to Gethsemane, he commands his disciples to sit while he goes to pray. So let's go through it phrase by phrase. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, which in English is oil press. It's where olives were pressed. And what a fitting name, because that very afternoon, Jesus will have the air pressed out of his lungs as he hangs on a cross and he sags and the lungs get forced all the air out of it. And people who were crucified, they suffocated. The very life was pressed out of him as he hung on a cross for three hours. And he's saying to his disciples, you all sit here. While I having gone there, I may be praying. So he gives a command first that they will just sit where they are. Now he has come here with the express purpose of praying to his father because of his approaching death. And he wants his disciples to be near him. He is showing human vulnerability here. And that is a good thing. It's a good thing to be vulnerable and to admit it. And then after taking three with him, he begins to be sorrowful and distressed to death. And then he commands them to be watching with him. So we're told after taking Peter, which literally means a stone, as opposed to a big rock, it's a stone you can throw. And the two sons of Zebedee, Zebedee means my gift, James and John. Now on occasion, Jesus had only three of his disciples with him. You could call them an inner circle. And it would be reasonable to say he chose them for special training. So let's take them in order. Peter. After Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, the message he proclaimed resulted in 3,000 lives being added to the church, the beginning of Acts. Going towards the middle of Acts, we're told that James was the first follower of Jesus to be killed for his faith and for his proclamation of who Jesus is. And then finally, John, he received an apocalyptic vision in his 90s of the panoramic future of the church after the new heavens and the new earth, which Jesus will establish with his second coming, what we're all looking forward to. But then we're told he became sorrowful and distressed. This is a narration about what he was experiencing. Now, his sorrow may have been over the sins of humanity, and his distress 
may have been because he now fully recognizes the agony he would endure on the cross. As he died in the place of all sinners who would submit to being humbled in the faith of him. Humble faith is what we need and what Jesus provided. And now he speaks. And he's saying to them, very sorrowful is my soul, even unto death. So in his humanity, Jesus is sharing his extreme sorrow, which he is experiencing as he realizes it is now time to lay down his life in death for both them and all people. And then the last word we heard was he said, you all must wait here and you must be watching with me. Wait and watch. He commands them to both wait for him and watch with him as he talks to his father about the completion of his mission on his first coming or advent to earth. Now, we know the whole story. It's 2,000 years later, and we're not even really surprised by it sometimes. But the good news is after Jesus' death, he rose to life. And he made it possible for any person to be dead to sin and living to God in Christ Jesus. For all people who are living in humble, obedient faith of Christ, death to sin in him, as we get on the cross with him, leads to life in him. You see, death always precedes life. God knew that. Jesus knew that. We need to know that. To live, we must die. Die to sin. And God's saving grace has been revealed to all, training to righteousness while waiting for the blessed hope of his appearing. That's my paraphrase of Titus 2. You see, in the midst of violence, and it's all around us, it's always been there, it will be until he comes back. Faithfulness gives life. So let me wrap this up. When God's people live contrary to his ways, his punishment of them may be extreme, but even in his punishment, he gives faith and life. And even in famine, his people will rejoice in his salvation. And Jesus, who died in our place, by his resurrection made possible the giving of faith and life to people in order to await his return in active hope. We've got a mission too. We cooperate with Jesus. But remember this, even in the midst of violence, faithfulness gives life. So that's our hope as we start the Advent season.